Uh, as you know, this next week is Veterans Day, and uh, we certainly always want to take the time to come together on a special time like that and to um, uh, recognize and to thank the ones who have sacrificed them, themselves in their time uh, to fight for our freedoms. Uh, in our congregation, we have a number of people who have served in the military, uh, a number of people in all different ways. We have had people who have been in the foxholes. We have been people who have been on the submarines and, in the, and on the aircraft carriers. We have been people who have worked in administrative duties but still have to don their helmets and, and uh, uh, protect themselves from incoming missiles and things like that. And we've had people who have uh, trained to, to be ready, and that's just as important as anything else. And we do want to take the time to remember them uh, this morning. I would like to ask, uh, would all, any, everybody, anybody who has served in the military, would you please stand? Would you please stand? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Like I said, and there, and there are really many more that are part of our congregation that could have stood if they were here today. Uh, but we do appreciate that. Uh, to, uh, I, I came across a little poem that I would like to read to you. This was written by um, a man whose father was a World War II POW. Um, and he, he struggled with a lot of physical uh, anxiety. But afterwards, he, of course, he struggled with a lot of mental anxiety as well. I guess that's what you would call it afterwards. And the physical anxieties subsided after a while, but the mental uh, anxieties, I guess we would call it PTSD or, or whatever they have, he struggled with it uh, for the rest of his life. But anyway, but this is a, a little poem that I would like uh, to read to you. And then I'm going to ask Ed DeArmond to come and to, to have a prayer for not only the uh, veterans who have served, but also for those who are serving today and the soldiers that are uh, around the world. Uh, but this, this was called The Soldier. He says, I pledge allegiance to the American flag. Forever may she wave. God bless those covered with her as they're lowered to their grave. We must, talk, we must not take for granted the freedoms that we share and the soldiers that protect us in our darkest hour. Soldiers leave their loved ones to heed their country's call, ready to place their lives in danger, willing to give it all. Sleepless nights and endless days are common, but they know without the blood of patriots, the freedom tree won't grow. Through hell, rain, snow, and heat, blood, sweat, and tears, they march into the heat of battle, pushing aside their fears. When the physical battle is over, the mental battle begins. For some, it's only temporary. For others, it never ends. So pray for all our soldiers. And let us never forget, we can never repay them. We will always be in their debt. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord, I'd like to thank you for living in a country that has freedom and liberty. And Lord, we can enjoy that freedom and liberty today. Thanks in part to those who just stood, the men and women here, and countless others that have sacrificed their time and their energy to protect those freedoms and liberties. I'm thankful to be a part of that. And Lord, we have men and women scattered all over the world doing that same thing right here today. And I want to thank them as well. Lord, I'd also like to thank those who stayed behind, the supporters, the wives and the mothers and the dads and the children waiting patiently for their loved ones out on the, uh, in the field. We just give you thanks for the opportunity. We thank you for these individuals that uh, stood in the gap when, the, when our country called. We pray that you would bless them and keep them, protect them, and particularly those who are serving now. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Ed. Uh, it's good to see everybody this morning. We've gathered all together, and we are here to honor the Lord and to give him tribute today. But there are certain times when we draw back, and there are other people that we need to honor as well, and that's what we have done today with our veterans. So just remember that because Veterans Day isn't until next Saturday, actually, I realize, but yet we will be hearing about it. So let's just always be remembering those, those ones that are especially serving today and thank those that have gone before us. Um, today, uh, our pastor is out. If you're visiting with us, our pastor is away. He's getting taking a little bit of vacation. Uh, he was out of town all week, and then they kind of extended that, and I think they're coming back today, But so it's always good. But they had, he had planned on uh, somebody else, one of our elders, uh, Van Cook, is going to come. He's going to bring the message to you this morning. So I know that we're going to enjoy that. I know that God has uh, laid something on him, his heart, that, that is going to speak to us. But anyway, but we come together to worship the Lord, and we're here to honor him. And as we leave here, we're not here to be blessed. We're here to bless him, okay? And we want to, as we leave here, we're not going to, we shouldn't be saying, hey, you know, was that great for me? Was this great for the Lord? You know, our hearts need to pour out our, our praise to him. So let's just do that. Let's all stand and let's start with singing, Come Thou Almighty King. all sing out. Come thou almighty King, help us thy name to sing, help us to praise, Father all glorious, for all victorious, come and reign over us, ancient of And give thy word success, spirit of holiness, on us descend. All glory. 
standing and let's recite the word of God together. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. God's people said, Amen. Y'all be seated. The choir is going to 
As we continue our time of worship, he's going to sing a song about calling on his name, as that, as that scripture says. It comes in a book, it's a big, thick book that we have. The book was published right after 9-11. I know we have many young people here that don't even remember 9-11, but many of us here do. And if you remember, it was a time of all we could think was sheer evil attacking us and uh, attacking not only just a country, but the people of God. Just the same way as we're seeing evil attack the people of God today, maybe even in a worse way that we've ever seen. But, you know, we, we, we look around and we see all this happening and we wonder what in the world is happening, especially our young people probably haven't, they've not experienced anything like this. And, and we, we don't understand and we wonder, well, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? And let me tell you something. It's all, all of it, God works in his plan. He doesn't cause everything, but he works it all to his glory and to his honor. Before this whole thing is over, people, he's going to be honored. And he's going to be glorified through it all. We can't see that. And we don't understand Whenever we go through hardships in our life, whenever we go through physical problems, we have, people, we have people in this congregation that are going through cancer treatments and everything, and we don't understand a lot of times. But we know that God is in control, and we know that he loves us. And that's what this song is all about. When we don't understand what God has in his plan, we can bow the knee. So I want you to listen to the choir as they sing, Bow the Knee.
Oh, 
You hear this one a lot. Science has proven evolution, therefore evolution is true. Since evolution is true and Christians don't believe it, then Christians don't believe science and they aren't rational people. Really, let's put that claim to the test. First off, evolution in the sense that things change is evident. No rational person disputes that. Therefore, rational Christians believe it. We can observe change, but evolution in the sense that life came from non-life and then that life began to randomly generate new genetic information and over time it eventually produced humans is something entirely different and something that quite honestly doesn't hold up against science. In other words, evolution in the sense of molecules to man is not scientifically plausible and therefore should not be viewed as scientific fact. Quite honestly, it is in great opposition to science, that is, observational science, the kind of science we can test and repeat and use our five senses to understand. Science demonstrates that over time, Living organisms lose genetic information. They don't gain it. That same science demonstrates that life doesn't arise from non-life. Hey, Follow along from? if you would. Fact one, there is no known observable process by which new genetic information can be added to an organism's genetic code. None. That pretty much refutes evolution right away because there's no way to go from a fish to an amphibian without adding new information, right? If living organisms cannot produce new genetic information, how can anything gradually change into something of higher intelligence or form or complexity? That is, how can anything evolve from an amoeba to a man without adding new genetic information? The answer, of course, is that it can't, plain and simple. Now, some have speculated and they have imagined all kinds of things and they brought in artists to produce creative renderings based on guesses and they have been successful in telling a very convincing story that humans evolved from ape-like creatures, but those are just drawings, people. They're just stories. But what we really observe is humans are humans and apes are apes. Now, if fact one buried evolutionary thinking deep into the Precambrian soil, this next fact, fact two, tosses so much sediment on it that not even the greatest team of paleontologists with the latest subterranean gizmo could dig up the remains. Check this out. Never, again, never has it been observed that life can come from non-life. So here are two major scientific evidences against evolution. I reiterate for clarity, life has never been observed to come from non-life, and there is no known observable process by which new genetic information can be added to the genetic code of an organism. So molecules demand evolution doesn't really make scientific sense. Yet we are all here, and life is all around us in various forms. Although evolution cannot account for this, the Bible can. The Bible reveals that the all-powerful, all-knowing, supernatural God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, and all life according to its kinds, that is, each with its own set of genetic information. So, again, what the Bible reveals makes sense of what we see and understand. Evolution does not. Enough said. That has got to be my all-time most favorite uh, video. I love that video. I could watch it many times and never get enough of it. So that said, we've got a lot to cover, so let's, uh, let's get down to business. Let me ask you a question before we start off. What do you think one of the greatest miracles is that you know of? Anybody? Creation. What? Creation, okay, creation is it. That's what we're at. Creation is in and of itself a miracle. Uh, when you look back and you look at the beginning of time, you've got to understand that the first words in Scripture are that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The question is, do you believe it? And do you believe that miracles occurred during that time? Do you believe that by God being able to speak something into existence, it's a, it's a miracle? Well, I think that's a miracle. It's a scripture we often read, we often hear, it's often studied, and it's often questioned. The world questions it all the time. 
the real question is, if we compromise this truth as believers, where does it put us in our belief system? Um, in the Word of God, it says that all Scripture is inspired or God-breathed. And uh, so do we believe that or do we not believe that? Is Genesis just an allegory? Is it something that doesn't really mean what it says? Could the six days of creation mean something besides six days? Could like each day be a thousand years, long periods of time? I mean, those things are questions and they're questioned by the world. Can we apply some type of theistic theory to this where we can mesh what we believe with what science says? And for that matter, is science correct in what it's saying? This is what science basically says. Science says time plus space plus matter plus chance equals me, is what it says. It's how we got here today. The Big Bang Theory says everything came from nothing. Now, how is that even possible? That's a miracle in and of itself, right? I mean, that would certainly be a miracle if everything came from nothing without any cause whatsoever. Just boom, there it's there, okay? There's a suitcase, but where's the suitcase at? There's no space. Something's in the suitcase that blew up, but since there's no matter yet, what's in the suitcase? It makes no logical sense whatsoever, but we try a lot of times to fit our theology into what science says and has not proven. We've got to be wise enough to look at the science that they're putting out there and ask ourselves, is it true? When science does not know what they're talking about, I think what they do is they add years to it. They add uh, another billion years, that ought to do it, right? I ran across something really interesting when I was studying for this. I was trying to figure out, okay, how did the Earth get on a 23.5 degree uh, axis? You know, exactly what does science think that happens? I didn't look up every single thing, but you know what the top Google thing was? 4.5 billion years ago, something the size of Mars hit this planet and put it on a 23.5 degree axis. So it rotates on 23.5 degrees from the sun, right? Where they got that, I have no idea. Why is it even important that we uh, look at this? Why is it important? Why does it matter as believers? Well, we're going to look at that today but I've used this verse before, and it's 1 Peter 3.15. It says, sanctify the Lord in your heart, uh, the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks about the hope that is within you. But do this with meekness and fear. The word defense there is where we get our word apologetics. And what that actually means to us is that we need to have a good understanding of what we believe why we believe it, and how we can articulate that to people. Don't you wish you could give that two-and-a-half-minute video to somebody on an elevator and say, hey, just watch this real quick. And just hold it up. I mean, I know they're going to think you're crazy whenever they get out of the elevator, but surely when they get to the end, they've got to think if they listened, hey, maybe there's something to that. We're going to try to look at um, four things, I think. We're going to look at the process. How did we get... Genesis and how did creation begin? We're going to look at the proclamation. What does creation have to say to us? 
we're going to look at uh, the perception of creation. How do we perceive creation? What do we think when we look at creation? And is it even important and does it mean anything when we get to that point? <clears throat> and then finally, we're going to look at the purpose. Why did God give us such a vast creation? You know, they've got the uh, JWST, the James Webb Space Telescope now, and it's looking deeper and deeper and deeper into space. And they've suddenly realized that it goes much further than they thought. It's bigger than it ought to be. That the universe has progressed further and the universes have progressed further than they thought it could be. So they're starting to get kind of confused and starting to try to apply all kinds of new theories uh, to how it came about. Uh, so it's confusing them. But uh, they're finding universes that... Uh, are much more mature than what they thought. They think that by looking out into space, they're looking back in time, and you find a mature universe out there that's way, way, you know, hundreds of thousands of light years away from us, and you're like, it's not supposed to be that mature. So what they're doing is they're adding years. They're adding time. They're like, okay, well, maybe it's older than it used to be. How did God give us Genesis. Have you ever looked at that? How did God give us the word? How did God give us Genesis? And how did he bring it to us? Well, he brought it to us through Moses is one thing that he did. Um, and uh, so I want to look at just a couple of things. One is a scripture that um, uh, is in Exodus seventeen fourteen. It doesn't have anything to do with creation, but it's got to do with how God spoke to Moses and told him to write down scripture. In Exodus 17, 14, Moses, uh, God said um, to Moses, write this in a memorial for a memorial in the book and recount it to the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out uh, the remembrance of Amalek from under the heavens. So God told Moses, he said, write this down in this book. He said, because I've got something for you to record that I want other people to hear later on. Now, Moses would have been highly qualified for this particular task because, remember, Moses grew up where? In Egypt, right? He grew up in Egypt. And how long was he in Egypt? Forty years in Egypt. And then they came out of Egypt. Forty years, he's hanging out. Suddenly, he sings a burning bush. The Lord tells him he's got to do some stuff. And he's brave enough to go back into Egypt and, and produce the exodus and take the people out of Egypt. Uh, and then, when they didn't go in and take the promised land... Guess what? He had 40 years that he could write down scripture and record it for us. Is that not super cool? Is that not neato? Is that not just uh, the most awesome thing you ever heard? Now, if you wonder if uh, the scripture that uh, Moses wrote down, wrote down is scripture, Jesus quoted it, and it's quoted in many other uh, areas of scripture by many other, uh, in many other verses. But in Mark 12, 26 through 27, he said, but concerning the dead... They, uh, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. He was talking to the um, Sadducees, Sadducees concerning the resurrection. They didn't believe that there was a resurrection. But he's quoting Moses out of Exodus chapter 3 verse 6 to clarify his point. So we know that the scripture that Moses wrote down was even being quoted by um, Jesus. So we know that for sure um, that it's God's word. And so Moses wrote um, 
the first five books of the Bible, right? He wrote um, them, and they're called the Pentateuch, right? And it's uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So wrote, he wrote that down, but it wasn't all divided up the way we have it so neatly divided up today with all the chapters and verses and everything like that. They're in context. They're in historical sequence. They make a lot of sense. Each book begins where the other book left off. And it's important for us to understand this, to understand that this is history. This is not some kind of stories that were recorded in a book that we can look at and give some kind of an allegorical meaning to. That's just not what it is. Um, it, it's something that we can utilize. We can utilize it in our life. There's another thing that you need to know. I've already mentioned that uh, God told Moses to write down some specific things, but let's get a little more specific about how God communicated with Moses. In the book of Numbers, in chapter 12, um, Aaron and Miriam uh, were kind of having this thing about, does not God speak through us like he does to Moses? The Lord heard him say that. And the Lord called him to the temple and to the temple door and asked Moses to come over there with him. And, Mo, and the Lord basically had taken him to the woodshed, is what I call it. He wanted to have a good discussion with him. Uh, and he said to, um, to them, to Aaron and Miriam, he said, I speak plainly. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So they were speaking against Moses, but the main point here is God said, I talked directly to Moses. And he also says in this passage, he says, to some of the other uh, people, I speak through visions, I speak, um, um, you know, through other sayings and things like that, but, but not so with Moses. I speak straight to Moses, that's what I do. Let me flip over to this. I want to take a look at it for just a second. In Numbers uh, <clears throat> chapter 12, he says, Now hear my, and this is in verse 6, Now hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak to him face to face, and even plainly, and not in dark sayings. In other words, he says what he means, he means what he says. And he's very clear with Moses. And Moses sees some kind of image of God because he can't see God and live. Remember at the burning bush, um, Moses wanted to see the Lord and he said, you can't see me and live. So he covered his face, went past him and he saw the Lord as he passed on from him. But Moses had a unique uh, relationship with the Lord in the fact that anything that God told him, he told him directly and specifically, okay? So plainly, there's no question as to how we got uh, the first five books of the Bible, there's no question in my mind how we got all the Bible, uh, but it helps us to understand why these first five books of the Bible have to be true. One of the other things that we've got to understand is we've got the complete Word of God. Like the scripture where Jesus is quoting Moses, they didn't have that in Israel. Their Bible was the first five books. That's what they had, and they didn't even have it at their fingertips, on their telephones, on their... Uh, computers, on their pads, on whatever. They did not have it. 
the revelation that we have today is so much more complete than what they had. You know, we've got 66 books, right? We've got 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, and we've got the Holy Spirit to interpret those books for us. Okay? So, Scripture is important. Believing Scripture is important. Believing the Word of God in Genesis chapter 1 is very important. It's history. Uh, it gives an account of exactly how the heavens and earth were created. Uh, Genesis gives us many other first in the human experiences. Tells us about marriage. Tells us about family. Tells us about sin. Tells us about redemption. Tells us about judgment. Tells us uh, some of the main events that have ever happened in history. The fall of man. Uh, the flood. The dispersing of the nations. There are three events of epic proportion. And when you get to the end of the first 11 chapters in Genesis, you've covered a lot of time and a lot of stuff. So it's important. It's really important that we study Genesis, that we look at Genesis, and we believe Genesis. Okay? Who, this is my question for you. It's a simple question, but it's a hard question for the world. Who created God? Nobody created God. God is what we call the uncaused first cause. Everything has a beginning and has a cause. Everything there is has a beginning and has a cause. The universe had a big beginning, so it had a cause. God had no beginning, therefore he had no cause. God is the uncaused first cause. There's no question as to uh, the fact that God has been here forever. Um, Genesis um, 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? It doesn't make any case for the fact that God was there. It just starts with God. And it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So this is the start of time as we know it. This is the start of that happened by God that lives outside the bounds of time, outside the bounds of space, outside the bounds of matter. We serve a God that is timeless, spaceless, and matterless. He requires no time, space, or matter to exist. Before time, space, and matter, God existed. He is the uncaused first cause. That's what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, if you go one step further, God created time. Okay, God was the very beginning of time when he spoke in the beginning and he created the heavens and the earth. When he spoke, he spoke time. And we're going to talk about how that happened here in just a minute. But it says in Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you're a God. So he was God before the mountains were there. He was God before the valleys were there. He was God before the universe was there. He was God, he was fully God, and he was holy God. He didn't need anything. He was fully self-sufficient. He is the uncaused first cause, okay? Psalm 102, uh, 24 through 27 also uh, uh, confirms that he's uh, outside of time as far as that goes. So we serve a God that exists outside of time, space, and matter. He has no beginning. He has no end. In Revelation 22, 13, it says he is the alpha, he is the omega. He is the beginning, he is the end, the first and the last. Is that plain enough? God started everything, and God will end everything. And I don't mean end time. He will end time, because there will be a day when we're in eternity, 
and there is no time. There will be a day when there is no darkness, there's only light, at least for those of us who believe, okay? So that day is coming, and, and we have got to look forward to that day in the reality of the fact that he's the creator and he's also going to be the sustainer throughout this life, and he's our future, okay? What is the worldview of created things? Let me ask you that. If I told you that this pulpit right here was created by somebody, would you believe me? Oh, no, no, this, it wasn't. I was just telling y'all that. It really wasn't created by anybody. There's a little place out in Ohio. It's a field, and it grows these things. It's wood. It's wood. And over millions of years, this thing uh, adapted these adjustments right here to be able to tilt it back and forth. And also, it's got a cord on the bottom of it that plugs into an electrical outlet. It saw a need for that because it's figured out that, you know, people are of different heights, so we need to be able to lift this thing up and let this thing down. And so over millions of years, and they start out really small, so it works for kids too, okay? And then as it gets older, it gets bigger, okay? But it was 4.5 billion years ago when this happened, okay? There's no more of them growing. They've become extinct. We just happen to get our hands on this one right here. Now, y'all believe that, right? Well, I mean, that's what scientists are trying to tell us about creation is there is no creator. They won't even say there's an intelligent designer. Uh, if I held up a cell phone or a tablet and I told you it was created by someone, there'd be no question in your life. If you drive past a building that is beautiful and maybe it's old, you might ask yourself, who created that? Man, that is a work of art. But you wouldn't ask yourself, was there a creator or did time do that? But then we go to the atomic structure and we start to look at, under, uh, at it underneath an electron mi microscope and the apparent infinity that there is in the atomic structure and there is no end to it. They keep looking and it's smaller and it's smaller and it's smaller and it's smaller and it's invisible. And that's because God created everything out of nothing but it was his power that created it. So it's really not nothing. So we're not saying the same thing the Big Bang says. We have got a creator. The world says, look at creation. It's amazing. The stars go on forever. No creator here. Look under the microscope, the electron microscope, and look at the atomic structure. No creator here. It was all an accident. It came about by accident. It is an absolute denial of the creator, okay? That's what it is. Um, let me move forward. I am behind on my little thing right here. I want to talk to you now. I want to go on into the book of Genesis, and I want to look at it. Uh, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form. It was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning, the word uh, created here uh, is a word called bara, and bara refers to the creation of something new, something that has never been before, that had never existed before. It refers to an act of creation by God. The word does not exclude the, the use of pre-existing matter. That is, bara does not require uh, creation ex nihilio, where out of nothing is it, but the context here dictates the meaning here. So absolutely, bara means 
that everything God created, he created out of nothing, okay? It goes on to say um, in verse 3, then God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light, and he saw that it was good. And he divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day. The darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. Okay, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And so there's this available matter now to make things. The specific way that God created the earth was he said. It said in verse 3, then he said. It says in verse 6, then he said. It says in verse uh, 9, then he said. It says in verse 11, then he said, and so forth and so forth. God said that. Uh, so we know that that's how God created the heavens and the earth. John 1, 1 through 3 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was God. Uh, he was, um, all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made. So Jesus was there present in the beginning as the word of God, and it spoke the world into existence. So we have one God in the beginning. We have the spirit hovering over the waters. We have Jesus as the word. So it's one God in three persons, and they were not made out of anything. They were made out of nothing. Now, one God in three persons is a difficult concept to understand. I don't hardly understand it. I used to think that it was one plus one plus one. That's three, right? That's three gods. That's not one god. That's three gods. Well, how do you mathematically resolve that problem? It's one times one times one. There's only one god because one times one times one is one. That's the god that we serve, a god that is existent in three persons. We sang a song this morning, Come Thou Almighty King, and it was about the three persons. So we must believe it as a church that God in three persons, he's a blessed trinity, right? Uh, So we have the beginning. God has made matter to make the earth. Gravity is now available, right? It's the force between two objects. The electromagnetic force field is made. It's the force between the electron and the nucleus uh, of the atom, right? And then we have the nuclear force, which is the force between the proton and the neutron. And uh, so now we have the stuff to make things. Um, this is for Steve. Steve, um, I know, I don't think anybody else is going to understand this, but do you know what the neutron said to the proton? Uh, he said, thank you for letting me stay here free of charge. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think anybody else in here would get that. I'm sorry. It's not, that's just Steve and I. I mean, Steve thinks way higher than I do, but I thought maybe he would get it. I said, I'm not going to tell that because it's goofy, but... You know, this afternoon, Andy's going to be laying around the house, and he's going to just bust out laughing. He's going, (laughs) free of charge. I get it. So uh, I have no idea why I did that. But anyway, (laughs) I just saw you sitting there, Steve, and I couldn't help it, man. Don't let me tell you my proton uh, joke either. So, okay. All right, so now I want to talk about the six days of creation. I want to talk about were they a literal six days? God said, let there be light. Now... The sun was not present at this time. You've got to remember on day one, he said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he divided the light from the darkness. Okay, when you divide light from the darkness and it's over the earth, you've created day and night. So God goes on further to say that. He says, the light is day, the darkness is night. How much more specific can you get than this is day, this is night, people. 
Light, light is day, um, evening is night, okay? He called uh, evening, he said, so evening and morning were the first day. Well, there's been all kinds of theories about this day thing. Like, well, maybe God didn't really mean what he said, right? Because God was not speaking clearly to Moses, right? Yes, he was. He was speaking directly to Moses, and he was saying, Moses, I created. He's the eyewitness of creation, right? God is. God's sitting there watching. It's, it's very historical to look at creation and have an eyewitness and say, he's the only person that was there to see it start, right? It was God. It was God that did it. He said, day and night, and uh, morning and evening, uh, and the first day, and he says, that's a day, okay? He didn't mean it meant a thousand years. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. Uh, he saw that it was good. Uh, he divided the light from the darkness. Uh, and he gave us very specific details, okay? In an effort for us to mesh our belief system with the world, we've tried to do all kinds of things theistically to make... Oh, you, you're out of your mind. There's no way God... This earth is millions and billions of years old, right? Well, then how do you find carbon-14 in diamonds and in dinosaur bones that are... You know, carbon-14 has about a 100,000-year lifespan before it's nothing, okay? And even the radioisometric dating that they do is not correct, and we'll talk about that again in just a minute. But the Lord is trying to give us a very specific reason uh, to believe that this is a day. As a matter of fact, he goes further to say this uh, as you go down uh, into the second day. He says... Uh, so the evening and the morning were the second day. That's in verse 8. And then he goes further on to say that in verse 13 about the third day. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Very specific about this was a day. This was a 24-hour day. The word here is yom. And let's see here. Dee, 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 dee. Let me get caught up with myself here. Ah, there we go. Look, catch me there. We're trying out new technology because I'm a glutton for punishment, okay? This, we've never used this before, but it's working, so thank you, God. I'm usually in technical purgatory, but right now, the Lord has given me a relief, okay? Yom is the Hebrew word for day. When it's used in context with the evening and the morning, the number always means a 24-hour day. The context here demands it. God specifically in his word told us that in verse 3, and then he specifically repeats it over and over and over in his word about each given day with the exception of uh, the seventh day, okay? But yom means day. Uh, in the Hebrew, Hebrew language, and here it can't mean anything else. People, well, what about the days as a thousand years to the Lord, okay? Well, in Second Peter, God does talk about a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. So he goes around and he reverses that. But you know what the context is there? His patience. That's what it is there. In the, in the book of Psalms, in Psalms uh, chapter 90, verse 4, God also speaks of a thousand years being like nothing to him. But, you know, he's talking about the eternal God and the frailty of man, if you look at the context. It has nothing to do with creation. So the question you've got to ask yourself what does Yom mean? So I brought in one of my buddies. He's a PhD, and I'm going to let him tell you what uh, the word Yom means, okay, since I don't know. And let's see if this will go. I may have to 
click it here, I'm not sure. I spoke too soon about technical purgatory, okay? Can you try clicking it back there, Mark, or will it? If you've still got that stick, uh, you don't, I don't think. Yeah, you do. Bring up that video. I'm going to keep talking, or we're going to come back to it, okay? It's Stephen Boyd, who is a uh, Hebrewist that is an expert in the Hebrew language, and he tells us what the meaning of yom is and how it is in context with the Hebrew language. Um, Let me talk to you about one more thing concerning uh, a 24-hour day. Would you believe that a day was 24 hours if God told it to you specifically? Okay, if you go to Exodus chapter 20 and you look at the fourth commandment, the fourth commandment says for six days, and this is God saying this, uh, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Not only did God speak this, but God also wrote it in stone. Did you know that? He asked Moses after Moses had broken the first tablets on the Ten Commandments to bring two more pieces of stone up to the mountain. And I know you've seen the Ten Commandments where all these sparks flew and God wrote it. But God with his own finger wrote uh, the word day. I mean, the, um, Exodus 20.11. Is it ready, Mark? Will it play? Or can you play it off the stick or the file or anything? Okay, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. We'll come back to this. Trust me. Oh, is it? Go ahead. Do you see these as literal days? Is that what the text is telling us? Or you know what other people think, that this is just... A poetic, uh, different. Well, first kind of, of all, it's, it's not poetry. The world's greatest Hebraists all affirm that this is a narrative, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they they say that that's one of the unique features uh, of the Genesis accounts of creation and the flood is that they are narratives because in the ancient Near East they are done in epic poetry, which is very different. And here we have narrative to indicate that this is historical. What that means is that the, you should understand the words, the, the normal way in which those Hebrew words are understood. The word yom, it means day. Uh, the foundation of its usage is what we mean by a day. It's a 24-hour day. The only way you'd want it to mean a lo- longer period of time is if, is if you impose an alien uh, concept to the text mm-hmm. and say, well, I think that, that these are ages, and therefore yom has to mean ages. What you have to do is start with the text. If we start with the text, yom means day. Okay, so you don't have to take my word for it. There's a guy that's an expert in Hebrew, and he has said that yom means day, and that that to apply anything different to it is to apply something alien to the text. And, you know, that's what people really want to do is they want to apply alien things to the text a lot of times, and uh, let's see if it'll go there. Okay. And, and so when you look at Scripture, you can look at Scripture and you can with confidence when you read that God created the earth in six literal days, say to yourself, 
God created the earth in six little... Because remember what we said at the very first, creation is a miracle? If you believe that, then God could miraculously create the earth in six days. Could he not? I'll make one more point to you. He created everything mature. We don't have time to go into the way he created specific things, but, you know, he didn't create a seed. He created a tree, and then the tree made... uh, And the tree was fully mature. He didn't create a little bitty embryo that grew up into Adam, right? He created Adam as a man. So why would you think that when he created the heavens and the earth that he would have created them immature. They were mature. The lot that we're seeing now that they say is billions of years away, I believe. But I believe the miracle of creation allows us to see it. Why? So God will get the glory. That's why that happens. Okay? So we're going to put miracles on the table and we're going to say that that's true. Now we're going to move to the proclamation. What does the heavens and earth say to us about God? In Psalms 19, verses 1 through 6, it says this. It says... The heavens tell the glory of God, and their expanse declares the work of his hands. Uh, some of your t- uh, translations say declares handiwork. That's what they say. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor their words, their, where their voice is not heard. Uh, uh, let's see here. Did I skip one out there? Their line has gone out into all the earth, And the words to the end of the world, in them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is like a groom coming out of its chamber. It rejoices like a strong person to run its course. It's rising from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other ends of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Okay, so God gives us a perfect revelation of who he is through his creation And it doesn't even require speech because the sun yells it, the moon yells it, the star yells it. You can't even get away from the heat of the sun. Uh, The testimony of the universe comes through consistently. It comes through day after day, night after night. Where one day leaves off, the next day starts, and the testimony of God is there again. All throughout the earth, the expanse, the firmament, when we look out there with the Hubble telescope, when we look out there with James Webb's telescope, Uh, uh, the James Webb Space Telescope, we see God. That's what a believer sees. Scientists want to deny that there's a God a lot of times. Not all. We had the Institute of Creation Research here uh, a couple of weeks ago. Those scientists scientists are on a mission to see what the universe really proclaims. Uh, They're not going in trying to prove that Scripture lines up with what science says, they're looking at science and seeing that it lines up. The creation is God's traveling preacher, so to speak. It's all over the world. It's everywhere. Creation delivers that clear, consistent message that there is a creator, and the creator is the God of the Bible, and creation is the belief in creation, but creation in and of itself cannot convert a sinner, okay? The reality is there's one greater than the creation that can convert someone from their sin. And that is the God of creation. So here's the question. What is your perception? What do you see when you look at creation? Do you take the time to investigate what's true in creation? 
can you see things that are not in creation because somebody tries to change your perception? What does the evidence show and what does the Lord say about it? If you go to Romans chapter 1 and you look at verse 20, it says, For the sense the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Some of your translations say understood, and they might say other things as well. Uh, but it goes on to say, uh, being understood that by uh, being understood by what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor God, um, did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their own reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Okay? So people, when they look at creation, God has said, I'm going to hold you accountable. You've now been held accountable. You're without excuse, it says in the last part of verse 20. It says you've looked up. You should clearly be able to see that there's a God. You've looked under a microscope. You should clearly be able to see there's a God. So you're without excuse. See, the whole reason to deny creation is to say I'm not accountable to anyone. What do you mean I'm a sinner? I'm not accountable. What do you mean right and wrong? I, I, I don't have to put up with that Bible stuff you guys put out there. I mean... Come on, why are you crushing my parade, man? It's like, you know, don't bring me down, guys. The Lord gives everybody an opportunity to understand that there is a God. Now, whether they ever come to know him is another thing. Depends on their perception, depends on what they're willing to look at. In verse 19 of Romans chapter 1, it says this, What may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. That means that God is implanted in everybody. Everybody. A thing I like to call conscience. There's something in you that says, well, this is right, well, this is wrong. Because if there is no God, how do you establish right and wrong? I mean, because um, Hamas... Why are they not right for doing what they're doing? I mean, they're calling their mom and saying, hey, mom, I just killed three uh, Jewish people, and they're really happy. Why is that not right? It's not right because there's a God in heaven who has set a standard for things. When he um, created the heavens and the earth, he set forth certain laws beyond the laws of gravity, electromagnetic fields, and nuclear he set forth laws of right and wrong. That's what he did, okay? If you, uh, let me go back. If you look down in verse 22, it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And this is the people that although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their own reasoning. They, what they were doing didn't make sense, Okay. The Word of God says this in Psalm 14, 1. It says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable, abominable works. There is none who does good. So the, the idea here is not that they're stupid. It carries a moral rather than an intellectual meaning. You see what I'm saying? Some of the smartest people I know and some of the people that I really love to listen to that are scientists believe in the millions and billions of years. But I think their science is correct on a lot of things. They just don't understand the creator God and they don't know him. So they're foolish from a spiritual standpoint. They're foolish from a moral standpoint. Uh, it 
says this in uh, Psalm 14:1. It says, they're corrupt. They have done abominable works. There's none good. So it ties uh, corrupt thoughts to those who deny God's existence. It's important that we acknowledge God because if we acknowledge God, we've got to say there's a creator and he maybe is one of right and wrong, okay? The reason men reject creation is in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, okay? It says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last day walking according to their own lust. And they're saying this, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For they willfully, willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens of old were created and uh, out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed also perished with water, meaning the flood caused that to happen. There's something you need to know that a lot of people willingly deny that there's a creator God. And you need to know that. And, and it's uh, one of the things that God knew when he wrote this. When it says this, it says... Um, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. There's a word for that. It's called uniformitarianism. That's what it's called. You can look it up. It's a real word. And it's the idea that the earth has always changed in uniform ways from now back all the way to the creation, which I don't believe, because I believe if the earth was created in six literal days, that time was different then. I believe that trees grew differently then. They were made mature. Man was different then. There was no sin, no decay at that point in time. I believe that the mountains came into play immediately. Now, they were changed when the flood came. I believe that the rivers were mature. I believe the caves that were made were mature. The fish were mature. Uh, the animals were mature. I believe the universe was mature. So that's going to distort their figures, okay? They willfully forget the creation and the flood and they do it because they don't want to be accountable. Okay, they intentionally do it. We don't have to move on because uh, I want to talk about these two responses. Uh, one response to creation is acceptance of creation. The fact that there is a creator, the fact that there is a God, the fact that God did create you, he did create me, and he did create the heavens and the earth, and he loves us. Okay, that's one thing you can do. And, and in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26, it says, look up at the sky, and it asks the question, who created all these heavenly lights? He is the one who leads them out by their ranks. He calls them all off by name. Uh, and because of his absolute awesome power and strength, none of them are missing. They come up every day. They come out every day. And I know they don't come up. I know everything's uh, spinning and uh, rotating and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? The perception we should have as believers is that God is the creator of all that exists. He did this just as described in the book of Genesis in six literal days. You can believe this with confidence. You don't have to have anybody rain on your parade, so to speak. You can say, I know it's true because God is a God of miracles, and I know it's true because Scripture says it, and Scripture is true. Okay? You don't have to, like, compromise your beliefs, people. Let me give you one more thing, okay? This is super cool and awesome, man. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and you look at verse 3, you'll find... Uh, first of all, uh, you got to remember in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of faith, right? It talks about the great people of the Bible that did great things because they believed. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab did not perish with all those who did, who did not believe, is what it says. 
It says, um, um, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Uh, It also says that by faith Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. He left Pharaoh. So faith is very important to what we believe as Christians. But this is the the, the most, uh, first of all, faith, you know, in chapter 1, verse, I mean, chapter 11, verse 1, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, In verse 2, it says, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Now, here's the, the really neato thing right here. By faith, we, who is we? The writers, right? The believers, past and present. By faith, we, that's all of us who believe, not you who do not believe. It says, by faith, we believe that the worlds were framed by the word of God. God spoke the world into existence, and we believe that. And not only that, it uh, says, uh, so that things which were seen were not made of things which were visible. It means that we understand we have a working knowledge of how God created the earth. We have a working knowledge of how he brought to us this truth. And when it says framed, it means he made something to fulfill its purpose. Okay? So God did that. So we've looked at the process, we've looked at the proclamation, and we've looked at the uh, perception. Uh, Here's uh, the thing. What's the purpose? Why is it even important that we understand? As believers, it's important. So people cannot, first of all, put into our uh, belief system doubt. There's no reason to doubt. God said what he did, and he did what he said. And that's it. That's enough for me. I believe the word of God is true. So it will help us to have a more secure relationship with the creator if we believe this and if we understand this. The problem is that many people don't understand the consequences of sin and the disbelief of what the word of God says. Here's what it's like. It's like if I have cancer right now, and I could, who knows. If I have cancer right now and I don't know it, it ain't my problem, right? I'm going to talk to you guys. I'm going to go eat lunch. We get through and everything's great, right? But if I go for my checkup tomorrow at the doctor and he scans me with a CAT scan and he says, hey, dude, there's this like lump right here in the middle of your stomach right there. We need to take a look at that. My perspective changes. I suddenly say, oh, whoa, I got to do something about this. Lord, what, I mean, uh, Doc, what do, we, what do we need to do? And he said, we've got to do this, 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 and this. And, and I'm on it. Not that I don't know where I'm going whenever it's all over and done with, but I'm on it. Not everybody knows they're spiritually dead. But because of creation, they have an opportunity to, and they have to intentionally deny, if they don't look at creation, that they've got an opportunity to do this and to change. In the book of Romans, in chapter 3 and verse 23, and you're familiar with this verse, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in chapter 6, it goes on to say the wages of sin is death. And what that means is payment needs to be paid for my sin, and I can't pay it. If you read uh, in Galatians, it says uh, that the word is like a tutor. It brings us to the Lord, but it can't save us. Only the Lord can save us as all it can save us. Uh, And it says this in the latter part of um, verse 23 in chapter 6 of the book of um, Romans. It says, the gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? What happens is, if people will look up, if people will investigate creation, if people will truly say, I didn't come as an accident, my mind, by the way, you can't garnish your brain a mind anymore. It has to be called a brain because it's just chemicals. So if you talk to certain groups of people, it's your brain, not your mind. Because mind, it basically implies other things about you, okay? But, but there's, there's a, so many people walking around that are looking for answers that don't know what the answers are. And they need the answer. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, is what he said. So there's one way to get to heaven. I told you about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the beginning that they created uh, the earth as one person, right? It's three persons and one God, right? But there's an element of that trinity that we need to understand that's even more important. And that element is the fact that God became man. So one part of the Trinity, Jesus, decided the only way to help me with my sin and the only way to uh, pay for the sin was for him to become fully man. In Philippians chapter 2, it says he's fully God and he's fully man. How that works, ask Thad when he gets back, because I don't know. I mean, he is fully God. He said, Van, tell me to ask you a question, Thad. And saying it's not even about football. Uh, so the, the main thing that I'm trying to say to you is it's great to have the process and to understand how the world came into existence. It's wonderful to know the proclamation in uh, Psalms 19 and in other places in Scripture, in Isaiah 40, etc., the perception is an important part because it gets you started towards the Savior. But the purpose is for us to come to know the Lord, not to win an argument over creation versus evolution or anything like that. We want to point people to Christ. That's what we want to do. If you get a chance, read uh, the rest of uh, Psalms chapter 19, starting in verse 7 and look uh, through 14. This afternoon it talks about the Word of God. It uses four different synonyms for the Word of God that are important. So it's important that you have not only uh, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but it's also important that you have his written word that is complete uh, to be able to understand who he is and why you're here. There's four questions that I always tell people you need to answer in your life, and I'm going to challenge you to ask yourself, have you done this? Origin is one of them. Where did I come from? Okay. Morality. How do I know what's right and wrong? Meaning, why am I here? What does this life even mean? And then destiny, where am I going when it's all over with? The Bible answers every single question that I just put before you. We've answered some of them today, not all of them. I've got a quote for you from C.H. Spurgeon, and I've also got good news for you, because when I'm through, we're done, okay? They already knew that I was going to be long-winded, Okay, so they say, hey, look, there's no sense in even trying to do anything after you teach because you're long-winded. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the guys came up to this morning. He said, you're preaching? And I was like, well, thanks. Because he was like, man, I don't know. So I thought he was reaching for his keys. Um, 
Here's what C.H. Spurgeon said. He said, we may rest assured that the true vestiges of creation will never contradict Genesis, nor will a correct cosmos be found at a variance with the narrative of Moses. He is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work and feels concerning them, my father wrote them both. God the Father truly wrote the book of creation, but he specifically wrote the word that we have in front of us now to lead us to a better understanding of who he is and a saving knowledge of who he is if you don't know him. So I'm going to pray, and after that, guess what? You guys get to go home and eat your hot dogs, all right? So let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for your truth. And we thank you for the fact that you love us. God, I know that um, a lot of things I said uh, may or may not have made sense, but, but my challenge to everyone that's here and everyone that's heard this is to look for themselves, to study for themselves. They're the ones accountable, Lord. When we come before you, it's not going to be me with somebody else or somebody else with me. It's going to be just me before you, Lord. And on that day, Father... It's only by the blood of your son that I believe that I'll be accepted. So I ask, Father, that your blood be upon uh, the others that don't know you, Father, that they would come to a saving knowledge. I think some people are here today because their mom wanted them here. Some people are here today because their sister or brother wanted them here. Some people are here today because their husband or wife wanted them here. But I truly believe that they're here today because you brought them here. So I ask you, God, to be in their hearts I ask you, God, to speak to them. I ask you, God, to save them if they don't know you. Father God, we just lift up all these things. We praise you for being the creator of all there is. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed.